Good morning. You guys ready to go? The redeemed people of God gathered around the word of God to hear from God himself. Turn with us uh, together. Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. While you turn there, uh, very excited to be starting a new series this morning uh, centered around the Shema. And we're looking at the greatest commandment. Uh, while you're turning there, we're not turning to any regular passage in Scripture. All of Scripture is inspired. All of in Scripture is of critical importance and purposeful from God. Uh, but we're turning to a passage this morning uh, that for Jewish, Jewish tradition is incredibly significant. Uh, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, through 9, acts to the Jewish people as a confession of faith. It acts as a declaration of allegiance to the kingship of God. It's so pivotal in their pursuit of God in their lives that they recite it every morning and every, every evening. So what we're turning to this morning is a special, special passage, especially in the life of the Israelite people in ancient times. So, let's read it together. Stand with me if you have your copy of God's Word. If not, it'll be on the screen. We're going to read together Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Let's pray. Father, as we come this morning, we are coming as a people who have nothing to offer you and everything to receive from you. A people who readily admit to you that our hearts love so many other things, but God who desperately call out to you and worship that you are the one you are the lord our god and so as your people who you have won to yourself gather this morning around your word we are asking to hear from you the same message that you have called from generation to generation from ancient times thousands of years your people have looked at this passage as a confession of faith we come in this year, 2022, to hear from you. And God, if it is necessary that our lives be realigned this morning, we ask that you would give us the courage and a passion and an unction to do that. And God, if this morning we're sitting here worshiping, we're sitting here in your love, God, we pray that you would cause us to love you even more. If you are the one thing in our life, God, would you make it even more solidified? Would you help us to see you in a more beautiful light than we already do? Speak to us this morning, our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. So a, a, a short little catch up to Deuteronomy 6. Since Deuteronomy 4, God has been talking to his people about idolatry, about worshiping things other than him. He's been talking to his covenant people about covenant faithfulness. And when we come to chapter 6, he, 
kind of continues with that and solidifies his message of his people being faithful to him. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, oftentimes when we hear the Lord is one, we think in terms of singularity. We think in terms of singularity of being. As New Testament Christians, we immediately go, ooh, Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but one God. But he isn't getting at a singularity of being. Church, he's getting at a singularity of worship. One of the translations that I love here and I think is most accurate says, The Lord our God, the Lord alone. So this statement in Deuteronomy 6 is not predominantly about the unity of God, but church, this statement is predominantly about the exclusivity of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone, the one God in our life. And see, what he's really getting at is a holistic understanding of our life. The Lord, our God, the one thing above everything else in our life. He is to be the first thing. He is not to be fit into our lives. He is ultimate. Nothing in our lives can nor should rival him. Nothing rises above him. In our lives, Christian... Just as it was for the Israelite in the Deuteronomic time, he is to be the one thing above everything else. And so we're just going to start 100 miles an hour here. And we're going to ask ourselves the question, First Baptist Church of Ocala, it doesn't need much explanation for our hearts. Is he the one thing above everything for you? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Is he the one thing above everything else in your life? He is to be the first. He is to be above everything else. The reality of our faith, and we don't talk about it often, is that we have a loving, gracious, merciful, holy God. But we also have a jealous God. And that jealous God does not want to share our loyalties with anyone or anything. He is the one, alone, above everything else. He is the one thing above everything in our lives. Now I want to go backwards here because we skipped over something in the beginning. And I think it helps us in understanding how do we apply the Shema, right? As we read this, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, it helps us. How do you apply that? It's a great statement of faith, right? That's a great, the Lord our God, he is alone. He is one above everything else. But how do we apply that? Go back to the beginning. Read verse 4 again. He says, hear, O Israel. Okay, we know he's not just telling you to open your ears, this is more than just taking in understanding through your ears. Because we know this because the very next statement is a command. 
right? He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He says, you shall love. Don't just hear, hear and obey, Christian. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is the one thing above everything in our lives. But don't just hear that, obey that. How do you obey the fact that God is the one thing above everything? You love. You love church. Now I want to just take a breath and ponder this for a second. Because this week when I was processing through this passage, that statement arrested me. I got caught in between. When I was diagramming this passage, I got caught. I had to leave. And I took a picture of it, and I hadn't gotten to the rest of the verse yet. And all it said was, you shall love. And it arrested me. It arrested me. What a command. Church, you shall love. There are a lot of things that we love. Is there not? There are a lot of people telling us to love them. There are a lot of things in this life longing for our love. I read an article this week. Where it, told, where it said that U.S. companies spend $1.4 trillion a year in marketing and advertising. And by the year 2025, globally, that number will rise to $4.7 billion. Trillion. It's going to go down. All of you, you're awake. Good job. Right? 1.4 trillion last year, and by 2025, it's going to rise to 4.7 trillion. Can I just let you in on a secret? They're not spending that money hoping that you'll be just whatever, indifferent. Those marketing agencies are spending that money so that you will fall in love with something. You are being actively pursued by all the money in the world for your heart and your mind and your life to fall in love. From the silliest of things to the most important things. To what you, from what you drive to where you live to where you go on vacation to what you wear to how you, uh, how you present yourself to how you talk to what you buy at the grocery store to what you buy at Christmas time. You are being pursued in your love. 4.7 trillion dollars to get you to love. Don't miss how close the message of the world and the message of Christ is. You shall love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength or you shall love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mom, fall in love with this look. Fall in love with this new parenting style, this book, this way to live life. Dad, fall in love with this football package. You can get it for so cheap. Fall in love with this hobby, this gun. Family, fall in love with this vacation, this new technology. Love this, love the other. 
you shall love. And God comes to us and he says the same exact thing. Church, you shall love me. Now, what it means to love God is one of those things in, in church that we can kind of, kind of gloss over. And we all know what it means, and then we kind of don't know what it means if we had to put it on paper. It can be ambiguous sometimes, right? And so I just want to very quickly talk about what does it actually mean to love God, right? God is calling you to love him. What does that look like in everyday life? First, Matthew 5, Philippians 2 tells us that love for God first is an affection for God. It's a care for God. It's a want for God. It's a longing for Him. So if you're asking yourself the question, do I love God first and foremost, you have to ask, do I have affections for God? Outside of this moment right here, this moment on Wednesday nights when the church gathers together, do you have a longing affection for God? And then secondly... 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. So love is on one, in one hand, it is affection for God, and in the other hand, it is obedience to God. Church, we love what we obey. And love for God always equals obedience to God. So when he is calling us, you shall love me, he's not talking about an ascension of the heart or an ascension of the mind. He's talking about a deep longing affection for him that leads to an obedience with your life to him. And he comes to us and he tells us, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, you shall love me, he says, with our heart and our soul and our might. Now praise the Lord, lest this get too complicated. This is not an excursus on ancient Israelite psychology. They are not telling us how they thought the body broke down in ancient times. As, as, as in all over the Bible, when multiple things are listed, this is giving us a totality. Right? Think about that. Our heart, our soul, our might, what's left outside of that? This is a reference for all of you, everything within you, everything, when you think of what makes up BJ, heart, soul, might, everything's encapsulated into that. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, Jesus republishes this passage and he references it as the greatest commandment. And he says, we are to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. It's slightly different. Unless we, look at, unless we look at Jesus and say, mm, almost scripture memory, but you failed the Iwana quiz because you missed it. Jesus did not misquote Deuteronomy. He's saying the same exact thing. God wants you to love him with everything that you have. We are not to look at this passage and say, oh, yes, well, my spirit is outside of that, so I don't have to love him in that way. This is a total love. 
This is an everything love. He wants your heart. He wants your spirit. He wants your mind. He wants you to love him with your soul and your power and your education and your wallet and your schedule and your influence. He wants you to love him with all of you. This is a total love. We have a jealous God. He doesn't want half of you. He doesn't want six days of you. He doesn't want six days of me. He wants all of us. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Your heart, your soul, and your mind. He is the one thing above all things to which we give everything, church. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Christian. The Lord our God, the Lord is one he is god alone and you shall love him how easy it is to hear the lord our god the lord is one he is the one thing above everything in our life how easy it is to hear that theology and to just hold on to it and to hold on to it as a christian but this is not a theology to hold on to. This is a theology to act on. God doesn't want us simply to believe the supremacy of Christ in all things. He wants us to act on the supremacy of Christ in all things. He wants us to be a people. He is calling us church to be a people where he is the one thing above everything else in our lives. And we give everything to him. Now, believe it or not, we're about to land the plane. Because I don't think you need much more explanation than that. I think we need time for meditation. But I want to take us, in closing, to a passage that seems a little odd in this context. So turn to 1 Corinthians 12. And I think, I think this will be helpful for us. First Corinthians 12. If you've gone to Second Corinthians, you've gone too far. I'm just making sure you're still awake, because that was gold. All right. First Corinthians 12. All right, let's read together, starting in verse 12, and then follow with me. For just as one body, just as the body is one and has many members. And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. All right, jump down with me to verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. 
which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Church, what a beautiful sentiment. What a beautiful statement. We are one body. As you look around, we are, as members together, we are joined together. And why? Why has God made us one body? Listen to verse 25 again. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. I'm going to say that one more time. That the members may have the same care for one another. We are meant to care for one another. God has made us in his body. He has brought us together as a local body to care for one another. It is one of the primary reasons that God has taken people from all over, different backgrounds, different personalities, different likes and dislikes. He has brought us together to care for one another. And think about what this means in regard to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We are responsible for one another. And if the foundation of our faith is that God is the one thing above everything in our life, then the foundation of our care, church, for one another must be ensuring that every single one of us lives that out. That as we live together, intertwined, we ensure in one another's lives that God truly is the one thing above everything in every single one of our lives. As Paul said in Galatians 6, are you your brother's keeper? Yes! God has joined us together with one another to care for one another. Not just a pat on the back, but a very specific care. And that care is to ensure that no matter what we go through, that God is the one thing above everything else in our lives. Beyond that, dads, did you know that as the leader of your home, it is your responsibility to ensure that God is the one thing above everything else in your home. Are you, dad, husband, are you, with your life and your actions, giving the example of a life that loves God as the one thing above everything? Parents, it is your responsibility to pass a love for God to your kids where they cherish God as the one thing above everything else in their life. As they watch your life, is that what they walk away with? 
Is God the one thing above everything else in your life to the point where even your kids see it and they give up everything so that God is the one thing above everything else in their life? Think back to those marketing and advertising numbers that I gave you. 1.4 trillion last year, and they are coming after you, parents. But do you know who they're really coming after? Your kids. Because if they can make them, make them fall in love now, they can keep them for the rest of their lives. Not only are you being hunted for your love, your kids are being hunted for their love. Are you passing down a cherishing of God that ensures that he is the one thing above everything in their life? Remember, the Israelites recite this every morning. They recite this every evening to remind themselves the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we shall love him. Even more, body church first baptist church of ocala when we think back to this body we are the safeguards for one another as we grow in age as our schedules get busier as the stresses of life squeeze out every bit of energy and time from us we are the ones who take care of each other we are to be so intricately intertwined in each other's lives that we ensure that God remains the one thing above everything else in our lives. So First Baptist Church, Christian, is God the one thing above all things to which you give everything? Are you ensuring that the people around you, your spouse, your kids, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, your fellow members of the church, are you ensuring that their lives cherish God to the point where he is the one thing above all things to which they give everything? Church, we are a body. And the way that we are a body is that Jesus Christ gave himself for us. We can't naturally love him as the one thing above everything. He made that happen in our hearts. His sacrifice for rebellious enemies on the cross, the taking of his life, led to us being redeemed and saved and transformed. One of the beautiful things that we still get to participate in as a church is that the night before Jesus' sacrifice, his disciples and him took part in a meal called the Last Supper. And during that moment, they took bread and they took drink and they took of those representing the body that was going to be crushed for those rebellious enemies and the, and the blood that was going to be poured out for them. And Jesus has called us as the church to come together with one another, intricately intertwined, to do this together to remember that we have a tendency to forget. 
And that when we take of this bread and when we take of this cup, we are reminded of what Jesus has done for us. And we are reminded that in every area of our lives, he is to be the one thing above everything. After I pray, we're going to be able to take part in that. And I'm going to encourage you that as you come up and you take from the tray that you remember just that. That at one time you were a rebellious enemy. And the residue of sin is still upon you. And that Christ has covered every sin you have ever committed that you ever will commit. It is forgiven in him because his body and his blood was shed for you. Now the Bible warns us, Christian, that if you are harboring sin in your life, if you are in sin unrepented of, then you need to uh, refrain from taking of the elements this morning because the Bible tells us that you are just bringing judgment upon yourself. You're solidifying yourself in your sin. So I would encourage you with all the love of my heart, don't partake in the elements this morning. You may be here this morning and you're not a Christian. And you're not, you're not part of the body. And you're thinking uh, that, that you should come and take this. is not for you. Jesus does not expect you to take this. What Jesus wants is for you as we respond, he wants you to consider in your life, why have you not made him the one thing above everything? Why have you not repented for you, from your sins, turned and given your life to Christ and made him the one thing above everything? So don't partake this morning. Consider, consider why he's not the one thing above everything in your life. Christian, as you come and take, I encourage you, go back to your seat, remain standing and continue to worship as we sing during this time of response. Let's pray together. Father. God, we are your redeemed people, and we love you. We read a passage like this, and oh God, you are so worthy. What you have done taking enemies and rebels against you. And you have made us your sons and your daughters. You've adopted us, given us a new inheritance not of destruction, not of judgment, but of joy in life. Glory be to your name. How worthy are you? Worthy of our life. Worthy of everything. God, as long as we are still on this earth, you know that we are in the middle of a war And Satan wants us to love anything other than you. And so, God, I'm asking that this morning and this church, that our hearts would be aligned and unified with one another, that you be the one thing above everything else. And that we love you with a, such a deep affection and care for you that it leads to our whole lives being prioritized in obedience to you, that you're not the second thing, the third thing, you're not the thing that's fit in, that you're the one thing above everything into which we give everything. Father, as we come and we take of this bread and we take of this cup, we remember Jesus, we remember your body broken for us, your blood poured out we remember you taking the wrath of God on your account, taking it from us so that we didn't have to experience it. 
We remember how you redeemed us. We remember how before we ever loved you, you loved us. And so, God, I pray that you would renew the covenants that we've made with you in our hearts this morning and that you would renew a love and a passion and a desire for you to be the one thing above everything in our life. This is our response of worship, Father, because you are worthy. In Christ's name, amen.